0: We hope you enjoy this message recorded at Equipus Church in For more information, please visit EquipusChurch.com. Ah, that's cool hearing, those, hearing the, um, the, your guys' story about Tonga. That's just cool. It's just cool. And uh, I, I, Tonga is one of my favorite places in the world to go and visit because you can see the church really impacting you know, and uh, partly because we're in partnership together as a family of churches all over the world, but also because uh, Pastor Mateli in Tonga is just such an awesome mission man, uh, awesome apostle, and just all the people in the team, just awesome people. And uh, I think definitely, I would encourage you, to add my encouragement to Pastor Will, actually Tonga is a great place to go on, on mission. Same with Manila, just see what God's doing in those places uh, is super awesome, Right. There's a church being planted in Firenze as well. If you like uh, art and uh, culture, uh, you could go there, or you could go to Napoli if you prefer just great Italian food. Uh, those are two great options as well. Uh, very cool. Awesome. Well, do you know I reckon? I said this morning, and I, uh, maybe in the in the second service, I said, you know, it's a, it's a really good time of. Sorry, Kenan. Let's get that right. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, bro. Yeah. Anyway, uh Anyway, it's a really good time. It's a really amazing time to be alive. What God's doing across the world is phenomenal. It's a really, it's a really a, a, a great time to be a Christian. It's a great. It's a, It's a great season in the in the plan of God to be alive. Right. And I reckon it's a great time to be part of what God's doing in the Quipus churches. That actually there's significance. You know, a, a percentage of everything you give gets gets extended all around the world. Did you know that? We have a plan in place to make sure that we're always pushing, pushing financial resource out. Why? Because where our treasure is, there our heart goes also. And then as equipers, we want to be connected in heart with what God's doing in Tonga and Italy, what God's doing in, in, uh, in California. We want our heart to be connected to it, right? Why? Because God does something when we join together. God does something amongst us. Everyone say amongst us. When God's working in amongst us, then we have power, where then things start to happen, right? Things start to move forward. I want to read a passage from the Bible. This is Ephesians chapter 3. And if you don't know about the book of Ephesians, you need to read it and and you you actually, it's divided up into six chapters, but it's really really a book in two parts, two complete parts. Chapter 1, 2, 3 is one part. Chapter 4, 5, 6 is another part. And the first chapters, 1, 2, and 3, they speak of God's cosmic plan. It talks about how God fills everything everywhere with His presence, and all things are drawn together with by Christ, and everything everywhere is filled by the church, and that Christ is the head of the church, like this massive stuff like that, and God's secret plan has always been to adopt us as His own children, right? And that before the creation of the world, God loved us and He called us to be holy and blameless in His sight, right? And it goes on and it says that Paul prays and he says, Whenever I hear about your faith, whenever I hear about the work of God among you, I fall to my knees and I pray to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that He may I open up the eyes of your understanding that you might be filled with light. And he prays that our, the roots of our life would go down deep into God's love. That we'd experience the width, the depth, the height of God's love. Then he goes on and says, but you can never even understand it. Because it's so great. Yeah. It goes on and on like that. And the first section of Ephesians, chapter, Ephesians is, is the last section is chapter 3. And it finishes like this, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It says this, it says, oh, look, we've got heaps of verses. When I think of all this, I fall on my knees and pray. I've sort of let the cat out of the bag here. The Creator of everything in heaven and earth, I pray that from His glorious unlimited, what about that? He's not just glorious, He's also unlimited. He's not just unlimited. God's not just unlimited Weedbix, He's unlimited and glorious, right? He's glorious, unlimited resources. He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. How many people need to hear that tonight? That's a prayer worth praying over yourself, isn't it? Oh, I don't know what to pray. Just, I, do you know what sometimes I do? I just copy the Bible. I can't think what to pray. I just pray this, God, God, from your glorious unlimited resources, empower me with inner strength through your Spirit. Look at this. Then Christ will make His home in your hearts. Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust Him. Then your roots will grow down deep. Into God's love and keep you strong, and you maybe have the power to understand. Oh, that isn't it? Isn't it cool? The anointing gives us the power to understand. As you know, one of the things you learnt at school was that you were dumb, which doesn't even matter because you don't need brains to understand. You need power to understand God the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, because it's too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete with all fullness of life and power that comes from God. Isn't it amazing what makes us complete? See, you thought you'd be complete when you finally resolved your habits, your bad habits. You thought you'd be complete when you finally uh, uh, when you finally understood the Bible a little bit better. You thought you'd be complete when you became a leader or you thought you'd become complete when you got married. But what makes us complete is that, is that, that our life is established in the love of God, that we, that we experience the love of Christ. It's our experiential awareness of Christ's love that completes us as human beings. How many people like a bit of cosmic theology in church on a Sunday at 5 p.m.? It's a bit of cosmic thought going on. Now, then it says, All glory to God, who's able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Now, glory be to God who's able to do, this is the old version, exceedingly and abundantly above, far over and above, all that we may ask, think, or imagine, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, hopes, dreams, or desires. Let's glorify a God who's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above, all that we may ask, think, or imagine infinitely beyond our highest prayers, hopes, dreams, or desires. I like the fact that when we come to church, we're not worshipping Buddha. We're not worshipping a guy who wandered around saying things that nobody understands even now. We don't worship, a, we don't worship a, a, an indifferent force. We don't worship a harsh and punitive God. We don't worship these things that we can't know and experience, but we worship a God of cosmic, unbelievable, and unlimited resources. But that He's also intimately connected with the realities of His created people and that He wants to work in our world. I like that. I like the fact that when we get together in church and we pray, we lift up a hand. Someone lifts up their hand. Alright. Oh, sorry, this is we did this already. Someone lifts up their hand, the three other people put their hand on their shoulders. And you know what? Miracles happen. Why do miracles happen? Well, because I lifted my hand exactly right. I was talking to this Buddhist guy, I was talking to this Buddhist guy, and I was, we were talking. He was talking about mantra, and I was talking about praying in tongues. And do you know what? Praying in tongues is way better because you just do it. Do you mean? You just do it, you just pray. Just open your mouth to say stuff and the Holy Spirit begins to empower what you're saying and shape your thinking and your emotions and your internal world gets reordered by the heart and the mind of God, right? He was talking about mantra and he said, no, in the, in the with the mantra, you have to say every single vowel exactly right. So you're saying this thing you don't understand, but you have to say it right? How can you say this with these words you don't understand how do you say them if you can't speak that language and you don't speak it? How do you say those words exactly right? So he was talking to his guru. He wasn't talking like that. He's just a middle-aged man from Wellington. I don't know why I put an accent on this guy, but probably some deep-seated racism that I need to deal with. You're all laughing because you're racist too. Kane, you're laughing too loudly now. <laughs> So anyway, he was talking to his guru, and uh, he says, he said to his guru, he says, Ah, oh, can I just talk to you about my mantra? Because everyone has their, they choose, you choose your own mantra that you say over and over again to empty your brain out. Um, I didn't need to do that. I just watched Netflix for that. <laughs> but these guys say their mantra over and over again to empty out their thinking so that they're completely empty. Um, and he's like, he, was, he said to his guru, he said, oh, I, I talked to you about my, my mantra. I don't think I'm saying it right. My mantra, I don't think I'm saying it right. And the guru, and he starts to say his mantra to his guru and the guru's like, no, 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 no. You can never tell me your mantra. Okay. So this is a difficult position he's in now, right? <laughs> he has to say it exactly right for it to work but He's not allowed to tell it to anybody else so they can tell Him how to say it right. Okay, this is called, this is a classic religious moment, right? We've got to do it exactly right, but nobody can tell us how to do it and we don't know, right? So we keep trying and we keep hoping, but this is a God who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we would ask, think or imagine, because His power is at work within us. I don't know about you, but I can imagine some things. I've been imagining some things. For the last 40 years or so, my imaginations were limited. I must admit, in the first couple of years of life. But I've been imagining some things. Since I was a teenager, I've been imagining some things. I've imagined some things for my own life. I've imagined what it would be like to be brave. I've imagined what it would be like to to get over personal insecurities. I've imagined what it would be like to be a good father. I've imagined what it would be like to be a good husband. You know, God's worked in my world. Do you know, in this church here, somebody bought an old biscuit factory and they imagined what it would look like nearly full on a Sunday night. Right. Why? Because they imagined it, that God was able to do it. Because they engaged faith in the future, God was able to come in behind what they were believing. Right. Or more to the point, they were able to get in behind what God was already doing. Because God's already decided that the church would fill everything everywhere with His presence. When I was 12 years old, we were driving to Auckland. My parents had sold their house in Paraparumu, and uh, we, for the next 10 years, we just ate the house. Fortunately, they'd paid the house off, but we just ate it. Uh, that's, what, that's the point of paying off your mortgage, so you can just go on mission for 10 years with your family. So from 12 years old to 22 years old, my mum and dad never earned an income. Really, it was good for, from a student loans perspective, student allowance perspective, but it was good, it was good in no other way. <laughs> Right, So we were driving to Auckland, uh, and and our whole family were on this mission. We were doing this thing. Dad was managing this nationwide evangelistic crusade. And uh, we were driving along. It was late at night because my parents didn't like driving during the daytime because there was too many traffic officers. And... um, (laughs) And I can remember, I don't know if you ever do this, but you drive driving along, the car's a bit hot because you're squashed in the back seat with too many brothers and sisters, not 10, but too many. And, you, and you're just driving along. Everyone else is asleep, but I was awake, and my dad was awake, he was driving, it's good, he's awake. And I had my head on the, just on the glass. You know, you put your head on the glass at night because it's nice and cold, and it just... Mm. <laughs> How many people do that? That's a lot of people. We do that. Yeah. It's something really nice about it. And you start talking. Hey, Dad. <laughs> I was just wondering. I just said to my dad, I said, Dad, what would happen if everybody in New Zealand found Jesus? Well, what would happen if, if the gospel just moved across New Zealand from person to person over back? fences and around school grounds and in the workplace what would happen to our nation and I remember dad just talking about what 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 could happen in families what could happen in prisons well you know what what could happen in high school what could happen in universities what could happen in parliament and then what what could happen in the world if a nation like New Zealand was saved think about the influence we've had already as a nation, around nuclear arms, around, uh, you know, around all sorts of different small things, but influence across the whole world, yeah. right? As a tiny nation, imagine the impact and the influence that we could have. And Dad told me the story, and it's a story I've heard many times since, that when, when God moved in Wales in the Welsh Revival, they had to retrain all of the donkeys that worked in the coal mines because all of the instructions that they'd given the donkeys, were all all of the instructions for the donkeys included swear words. Right? Right? So when everyone got saved, they had to retrain the donkeys because the people didn't talk like that anymore. Why? because someone passed a law that there'd be no swearing in the mind? No, because God transformed hearts. Right? When you watch the rugby now, you go to Carter Farms Park and watch, watch Wales get defeated by the All Blacks. It's a glorious thing to do. But they'll still be singing the whole time. Bread of heaven. Bread of even when they're losing they're still praising they're real proper Christians these people <laughs> right they're not chanting they're singing hymns in the rugby they still do it now why because someone passed a law do you know we're coming up to an election can I tell you this do vote pray about who you vote for for me it's real simple I'm voting for the person who is a Christian it's real easy for me That's, I don't care about the policies it's just I vote for my team We've got to vote, but you know what? It's not about the voting. It's about the gospel. Do you know what? Bill English, he's outworking the plan of God's call. He feels called to parliament. That's what God's equipped him and positioned him for, but none of the rest of us are going to be the prime minister. Right? Not this time around, eh? <laughs> but the reality is all of us are in a position of equal influence in heaven. All of us are called by God. All of us are positioned in a place where God wants to do through us things that we haven't yet imagined. God wants to do, because of us, God wants to work in a world in a way that has not yet been imagined, right? How many of you get what I'm saying here? you get getting the point. Can you imagine, what have you imagined? What have you imagined for yourself, for your own life? Because God wants to go do infinitely more than that. What have you imagined for your extended family? What have you imagined for people like you? What have you imagined for kids who growing up today like you grew up back then? What have you imagined for this city? What have we imagined for this community, for this church family? What have we imagined for the future? Come on, you've imagined something sometime. Not every day is a good day, but on a good day you imagine something great. You thought of a dream, something stirred in your spirit, right? Come on, let's capture those thoughts again and say, God, I know that you're able to do. You're able to do exceedingly and abundantly far over and above anything I would ask, think or imagine infinitely beyond my highest prayers hopes, dreams or desires that's a long passage from the Amplified Bible that I've memorized there isn't it it's because it was on a poster on the back of the toilet door when I was growing up This <laughs> is not as holy as you think right <sighs> the question is how does it work though eh What made David different to Saul? Well, David was perfect and holy and never made mistakes and Saul was a bad guy. David was a good guy and Saul was a bad guy. Doesn't quite work, eh? What's the difference between Judas and Peter? Well, Judas was a bad guy and he obviously wasn't paying attention when Jesus was teaching. And Peter was really clever and really onto it. He always knew what was going on. <laughs> Not quite, eh? Because who was a bad guy, David or Saul? Well, do you know what? They were both bad guys. Who was a good guy? Do you know what? They were both good guys. They were both chosen, they were both anointed, they were both called. But what was the difference? What's the difference between Peter and Judas? Well, there's a big difference in terms of outcome, but what was the difference in terms of the circumstances, and situation? The difference was what was going on in here. Yeah, so Judas and Peter had exactly the same experience of Jesus. Most of the time, they, everything Jesus said to Peter, he said to Judas as well. But what was going on was that it, was all, it worked differently because of what was happening in here. Let's go back Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Can we throw just the t- verse 20 up? I know I told you I wouldn't do this, but now I'm making it hard. I said to the AV people, now we're not going to do too much reading, it's 5 p.m., All glory to God, who's able to, through His, so it's about, well, you can't, this is wow. Uh, Through, through I'm pointing at, uh, His, read the words. Okay, so, so. Okay, so who's mighty, who's powerful? Yeah, in this case, Him, right? He is mighty and powerful, right? Okay, that's what God is able. So, who's able? God is able. How is God made able in this verse? He's speaking to something specific. Okay, just let's break it down. Let's get real. The rest of Ephesians, just as, this is, you shouldn't do this at 5 p.m., right? But the rest of the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6. So, it starts off cosmic. Wow, Jesus, body of Christ principalities and powers, adoption from before the creation of the world, right? It's awesome and majestical and mystical, right? Then it says this, now, now, all glory to God, who's able through His mighty power. And then it goes on. Verse four, chapter four starts like this. Therefore, struggle, strive to live a life worthy of His calling. And then it talks about leaders in the church and and growing and becoming mature into the full stature of Christ. Then Ephesians chapter 5 says, Be a good husband, be a good wife, be a good parent, uh, relate well together in the community of faith. And chapter 6 says, Fight the devil with all you've got, or you'll die. Right, I much prefer just to hold here at verse, chapter 3, verse 20, where it's just God's power, God's power, God's power. We've got to have God's power because now it gets real from chapter 4 onwards because I don't want God's power only to be mystical and magical and theological. I want God's power so that I can live a life worthy of His calling, so I can understand gifts in the church, so they can grow and be mature, so they can develop into a proper husband and love my wife as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Is Jesus expecting the church to do His ironing? Is that how He loves the church? Is Jesus expecting us to meet Him halfway? Men? I'm just talking to the men here. Ladies, just, you can just say amen. Come on, Jesus is not expecting a church to meet Him halfway. Is the church meeting Jesus' needs? Hello? Is anybody here? Come on, Keenan. You're not married yet. I can talk to you. Keenan, does the church meet Jesus' needs? The answer is no, Keenan. go back to Bible college. Does the church meet Jesus' needs? Does Jesus meet the church's needs? So how does a husband-wife relationship work? Don't want to think. You don't want to think about that now, do you? Does the church do what Jesus says? Oh, okay, let's leave it alone. Let's stay away from the gender politics for now. Um, but come on, it's got—it's all about being. It's all about what's real. Oh man, I'm using up a lot of time. Okay, this is one of those days where the introduction got out of hand. Okay, can we go back to chapter three, verse twenty? Okay, the glory goes to God. He's able. God's able. We're not particularly able, we're mostly disabled, right? Through his mighty power, here's the trick here's the thing it's God is made able by his power when it's working within us. So the cosmic glory, God's powerful, doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, God's powerful, but then God's able to do these these things that we imagine, the things we can't imagine beyond our dreams and prayers, when we allow His power to work within us. God doesn't lack power in your life. He lacks opportunity. God doesn't lack power in my life. He lacks opportunity. Wellington hasn't been, tra- Wellington's not what it is today because God lacks power. It's because the church hasn't given Him the opportunity that He's looking for to transform society. Why? Because we, you know, the Bible says this, no one lights a light and hides it under a bushel. No, only Christians do that, right? Only a fool would bury treasure in the ground except if you're a Christian. Right, the reality is just about everything Jesus says to do. We we read it and think, yes, that's right. And then we carry on living our life as if we've never read the Bible. That we're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth, right? <laughs> okay. Revelation chapter three verse twenty, just for the sake of sort symmetry. Ephesians three twenty and Revelation three twenty. Whenever you're preaching, just always use the same chapter and verse for each book and see what you get. <laughs> Doesn't always work. Trust me. Stay away from Leviticus. It says this. Uh... <laughs> Revelation chapter three verse twenty says, uh, "Look, <laughs> I love it." It says, "Look." <laughs> Can you hear that? It's like, hey! Hello! Woo-hoo! Woo-hoo! Do you do that in the South Island still? When I was growing up, people used to do that, come around your house. The door was always open. And they just, because they didn't, you don't knock on an open door, not, not in our amongst our extended family, just say, even the men in a high-pitched voice say, woo-hoo! Anybody? Big winter blowout. Anybody? Wait! <laughs> Pastor Will just about fell off his chair with the frozen reference. <laughs> this is for the recording. Pastor William Levy, a big strong man, just laughed at the frozen reference. Anyway, <laughs> Yoo-hoo, I stand at the door and I, what's Jesus doing? I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. If you had to be here in the morning to understand what he's talking about. I'll open the door, I'll come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. Zacchaeus, come down from the tree, I must have lunch at your house today. What's Jesus? Jesus is not just having lunch, right? He's not just sharing a meal. When 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 what he's saying is if you open the door, then we commune. That we connect. What's the meal? When we talk about Jesus, what's the meal? We're talking about the partaking of His sacrifice and resurrection. When we die with Him, then we're raised with Him. And the life we no longer allow to live, we live by the faith of the Son of God. This is the New Testament picture where it says, if you open the door, your whole life will change. I'll come in and everything will change. But Jesus mostly is on the front porch in your life. Everyone in New Zealand's got Jesus in the neighbourhood. We've got Jesus in the neighbourhood. We do Christmas, we do Easter. It's all good. We got Jesus, yeah. People like people don't mind Jesus too much. People don't like talking about the devil much, but they don't mind Jesus, really. Ah, oh yeah, you Christians, oh yeah, all good. Everyone's quite happy to have Jesus wandering around the neighbourhood. He's mostly a good guy. But then Jesus comes standing on the front porch of your life, eh? Knocking, knock, you. And it's quite good having Jesus there on the front porch, eh? Because if anything was to go really wrong, you could run out and get him. Hey, Jesus, someone's sick, I need your help. You know, if, if the boogeyman's sneaking around, you know, someone's going to break in your house, it's great to have Jesus on the front porch, right? You know, some of us, Jesus is like the, just like a guard dog. You know, real, He's out there in the yard, he's friendly when we go out there. Hey, ha, 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 And he barks at the bad guys, right? But Jesus is so much more than just a Labrador who sits on your front porch, keeps the bad guys away and is friendly to you when you get out there. Jesus is not just like an ornament, some of us want Jesus on the front porch so that when other people drive past they go, oh yeah, no Jesus is there. Sometimes in church we just tolerate Jesus we just we're happy with Jesus on the front porch because then we look alright. Cause then people see because most people in our whole world only they only interact with us on the front porch. And then Jesus is there, so it looks like Jesus is part of our life, but he's only on the front porch. Do you know it's good to have Jesus on the front porch, but there's a whole whole nother world. There's a whole nother reality, you know? What I mean? Sometimes it's raining in Jesus' life. Hello. It's a bit wet out here. Snowing. Hello. Big wind to blow up. The um. Why don't we open the door? This is why you don't want to open the door. I tell you why you don't want the door because Jesus will come in. Why don't you open the door? I tell you why you don't open the door. This is why I don't open the door because I know that Jesus will come in, and he's like that. He's like that guy, you know. Oh, thank you. Nice that you're here, Jesus. I was really wanting to watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> but now you're here, Jesus. <clears throat> so you just <laughs> flick it through to the Chinese Christian station. <laughs> Put the deaf subtitles on so you know what's going on, right? Oh, it's good to have you here, Jesus. But I actually had some other friends come in over as well. The box of beers and it's great that you hear Jesus, but now it's, everything's a bit different. Why? Because as soon as Jesus is a part of our life, yes, He brings His protection, He brings His power, He brings His love, He brings forgiveness, but He also brings Himself. He's also there. How many people love your mum and you love your dad? And your mum and your dad, they, they help you out. My dad still gives me thousands of dollars every now and then, just for stuff, projects or whatever. I'm like, hey dad, we're trying to do this extension in our house. He's like, oh, what do you need? Oh, funny you mention it. <laughs> <laughs> needs. most recent conversation needs $7,700 okay I'll put it through now hey, that's what you want your dad that's a dad that's a dad older than me when I grow up oh, I'm growing up now so <laughs> right, but you know sometimes I don't want my dad there right but Jesus is there. Once he's there, he's there. <whistles> once he's in the house, he's in the house with everyone else. Whoever else is in the house, he's in the house. Right? Real hard to get someone back onto the front porch once he's in the house. <laughs> so that's what you have to do. See, this is what you have to do. This is, have you ever had this up and down thing, this up and down thing with Jesus? I know you have because I've been a Christian as well, right? This up and down thing, Right? So we, we get brave at, at Man Up or Stronger, we get brave. Or on a Sunday night at 5pm, we get brave and we invite Jesus into our heart. And then we realise it's actually awkward now because some of what I used to do, it's not as awkward now with Jesus here. So at some point, you just have to burn down the house. <laughs> <laughs> just do something stupid. Anyone? Oh, okay, I'm just going to do, I'm just going to backslide for one day, burn down the house, and then we'll start again with Jesus on the front porch again. <laughs> no, anybody? Put your hand up if you know it's you. Okay, just me. <laughs> wow, I left a brother hanging. I'm the only bad person here, right? Come on, how many times do we do that? We're we up and down. Oh man, this is getting too intense, Jesus. So well, we're going to have to break it off. We write a note, give our friend to pass it to Jesus. <laughs> I don't like you anymore. It's not me, it's you. You're laughing, but I think you're uncomfortable. Am I making people uncomfortable here? But come on, what did Ephesians say that Christ becomes more and more at home in our heart? There's only, there's only one way to do this, sorry. You can have Jesus on your front porch, but it's just not going to do it for you. At the end of the day, what you, what you desperately long for is the life of Christ at work in you. Some people have Jesus on the front porch and they wonder why God's not doing miracles in your world. Because well, He's not in your world. He can't help you with that stuff down the hallway because he's on the front porch. Once he gets in your house, he, he starts to worry about what's on your TV. Right. What are you entertaining yourself with? Then Jesus has an opinion about what you're cooking in the kitchen. And you're like, no, Jesus. This, a deep fried cheeseburger wrapped in a burrito is a, is a normal thing to eat. <laughs> Jesus like, I don't think you should be feeding yourself that. Jesus teaches you how to cook. Jesus knows what's going on in the bedroom as well. He's that sort of a friend. He actually cares what happens in the bedroom? Why? Because he cares about you and he wants his power at work within you. He's not trying to restrict you. He just wants the house safe. He wants your life safe. He wants you to prosper. He wants you to grow. He wants you to build the relationship you need. But the problem, the, the thing that you're dreading, the reason why you like Jesus on the front porch most and then you don't mind him so much in the lounge and you don't mind him in the kitchen, but as soon as he gets in the front door, you know, what? I don't know, hallway, garage, Living room. These are all places we get used to having Jesus in. It's called growing up. It's called maturing as a Christian. Things start to change. You feed yourself differently. You entertain yourself differently. Your bedroom life is transformed by Jesus changing you, right? But there's this thing, in, there's this place in every house. It's hard to describe. For some people, it's a drawer. Or it's like... It's, I think in your, in your actual psychological world, there's, a, there's a, actually a large cupboard under the stairs. A long time ago, while well, Jesus was still on the front porch. Before you opened the door, you, what you did is you raced around the house. <laughs> Do you mean like just before your mum comes to your house, what you, or you, you've got your girlfriend visiting or whatever, you know, someone's coming around, so you race around the house, what are you doing? You're picking up everything dirty underpants, broken broken toys, uh, bills, power bills uh, from three months ago, old newspapers, uh, you know, half-drunk cups of coffee. And you're picking all these things up and you're jamming them under the cupboard, in the cupboard under the stairs. And because Jesus is now wandering around the house, every so often he just walks over to the cupboard and he just says, oh, Ah, oh, Jordan wasn't here. Oh no, no, no. Uh, oh gosh, no golly, ah, oh. so uh, there's nothing there. It's actually just that's a door that just, that's just actually just painted on there. It's just it's nothing there. That's no, all right, Jesus. He, oh no, I reckon it. it yeah. Next stage, he's like, yeah, you told me it's painted the doors painted on, but there's a funny smell coming from the cupboard. And eventually Jesus gets the door open, and you're like, "Oh, yeah, I was, oh yeah, I did oh, it. Compl- I did no idea that was there. Wow, who's put, who, who has put, who has put all that stuff in my house? <laughs> I don't know where that. I've been obviously someone snuck in here and stuck a whole lot of sins under my stairs." And Jesus pulls out one. And you're like, oh, yeah, oh, gee, I'm oh, sorry about that. You pass it to me, Jesus. I'll leave you. Blah. And Jesus, no, no, I've got it. I've got it. It's all right. And then, oh, Jesus, oh, man, there's so much mess under here. So much mess. And Jesus, like no, don't worry about it. Jesus kicks the door shut again. Don't worry about that. Let's get rid of this. Jesus just walks it to the kitchen. And you're like, oh, so embarrassing. Jesus, oh, man, I, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know. we have that cat there. I just don't know. And he puts it in a bin, tries the bag, Takes it out the front door. Throws it in the wheelie bin. In the meantime, you've shut the front door. <laughs> Jesus comes back. yoo I think the door's blown shut in the wind, Jordan. Eventually Jesus gets back to that cupboard. Strange smell. He finds something in there. What's this? And you know, oh, Jesus, I'm sorry about this mess. I'm sorry about all this stuff. Jesus kicks the door shut. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about that. What's this? Oh, man, I'm so embarrassed about that, Jesus. Jesus, don't worry. Don't be embarrassed about it. Just don't leave it in the house. Puts it in the bag, ties the bag up. Takes it out. As he's going out the door, he just wedges it shut. Op- wedges it open <laughs> with his foot. Opens the window throws it in and gets back inside. Next Sunday... Some preaches something, rah, 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 you are stronger. They talk about, you know, stuff. And uh, <laughs> Jesus says, Oh, what's this? Just stuff, you know, ladies don't worry, we just talk about stuff. Anyway, the, um, don't get the recordings. And he pulls out of this, <laughs> pulls it out. What's this? He, oh, man, so bad. But you're starting to get used to it now. Why? Because he, he knew it was there all along. <laughs> Do you know, he knew it was there when he was on the front porch still. And he was knocking on the door because he thought he could help you out with that. Because it's just going to smell bad for the rest of your life and make your whole house unlivable. We could be all ashamed and embarrassed about it or we could say, Jesus, make yourself more and more at home in my heart. Because I've imagined some things that I actually want to see happen. And it's His power at work within me that makes a difference in the world. It's His power at work within me. It's not Jesus on the front porch. It's Jesus digging around under the stairs that actually brings the transformation, the grace of God to my world. Maybe close your eyes and bow your heads. I think I've probably preached long enough tonight for Jesus to have had a little scratch around at the cupboard under the stairs. I don't know what, what came to your mind when I talked about that thing under the stairs. For some of you it's, just impossible hurts that you just don't know how to deal with. For some of you, it's mistakes. It's things you regret so deeply. Maybe Jesus has forgiven you of the actual action, but you've got a photograph of it still under the stairs. So you're not fully free of it. You've still got like the memory of it, a picture of it. Jesus wants to set you free tonight of hurts, things that other people have done to you, regrets, things that you've done that you wish had never happened. He wants to set you free. Can you feel? I can feel the presence of God in the room tonight. The reason God's present here is because there's a bunch of humble hearts saying, Jesus, come into my world. I like this guy here. He's just got his arms lifted already. Just respond. Just say, God, this is where I'm at. We're not gonna, I'm not inviting anyone to the front just now. I'm not asking anyone to call out their sins. Nobody else in this room wants to know what you've got under the stairs. Only Jesus knows. Do you know what? For the most part, Jesus is the main person who needs to know. Because it's his power at work inside you, deep inside you, that brings about transformation. If you know God's working in your world, just just lift your hands on your lap or just even just in your mind, just open your heart and say, Jesus, I'm opening the doors. I'm opening the doors. Some of you need to imagine yourself walking down the hallway to the staircase there. Just allowing Jesus to open the door. Let a little bit of light shine into some spaces that light hasn't shone for some time. He's such a gentle saviour. He's such a gracious God. He treats us with such kindness. But when he gets hold of those things that are destroying us, he He becomes this avenging destroyer. He, He destroys the things that are destroying us. Sometimes we've got confused. We think that Jesus is going to destroy us. No, he's going to destroy the things that are destroying us because of his great love for us. Yes, when you see Jesus, you think, man, he's so powerful. He's so dangerous. He is. He's powerful. He's dangerous. But it's His power and His ability to destroy. That's what we desperately need. We need Him destroying the works of the enemy in our world. Holy Spirit, we just release You to move in our hearts. We thank You. Lord, the, the Bible says that if we humble ourselves, oh God, if we draw near to You, Lord God, You draw near to us. Lord God, You don't hold us at arm's length but that you you actually come into our world and transform us. So, um, this whole analogy of Jesus on the front porch and Jesus coming into the living room. I was at Old Rancho when I was 11 and a speaker from America used this analogy not original sorry but when I was 11 it was on the bonfire night of camp I'm telling this to Pastor Will because he's like an al Rancher graduate also There's a Christian camp in the North Island it had a stupid name, I know but this guy his name was Dan he just spoke told this analogy of how Jesus works in our life and, and the, his finishing point was for a bunch of us Jesus is still on the front porch we like him there, he's all right, but we actually haven't invited him into our world. And that, what we did at the camp was cool. We, got a, we came forward and we got a stick that represented our old life, and we were able to put it on the bonfire and watch it burn. When people talk to me about what it was like to get saved, I, I love setting, setting things on fire. When I need to confess, and now I write it on a piece of paper and I set it on fire because that's how it began for me. Okay, I've got an old life. I was 11. How bad could you be as a living? Pretty bad. but how? Not as bad as bad, right? But I knew what it was like to have a life that needed to be taken care of and and, and a new life that I needed to experience in God. So just right now, if you're here and you've never made a decision to acknowledge Jesus... Thank you for listening to this message recorded at Equipus Church in Eden. We pray it blessed you. For more information, please visit EquipusChurch.com.